Well, it's always a good time with Dr. Jim Richards. Let's invite him back. And Jim, good to have you with us. Man, it's good to be here with you guys. You know what? I, I not only just love doing programs with you guys, podcasts, video, any, any type of thing where we're together uh, reaching out and trying to help people. Because uh, honestly, you know, and even my staff tells me this, that when we do things together, it brings out a dimension uh, of effectiveness because of what you guys bring to it that I don't have when I do it by myself. That's because yeah. I've got Jim Bob and me. <laughs> That's right. if and by the way, everybody, Jim Bob. Jim Bob is not my name. It's Jim and Bob. No, nope, it's just three. Jim Bob and me. That's, welcome to the podcast with Jim Bob, Jim Bob and me. <laughs> you know, growing up in Canada, it's kind of fun to talk like that. It feels like, yes. No, it just sounds like my relatives. Oh, <laughs> Well, well, I love, we're love, all a part of the big exactly. happy family. But listen, seriously, I just love our subject about talking about healing our broken hearts. Because, oh, yeah. oh my goodness, when we're dealing with people with relationships, it is not fun being in a relationship when someone of the two of you no. has a broken heart, you or the other person. It is. It just changes everything when Jesus is invited in to heal the broken heart. And I love that in this series you bring out that that was actually his first sermon reference. It was like... This is so important to Jesus that he's like, I have come here to heal broken hearts and set captives and, free. And you know what? I think he presented that first because for the believer, that is the starting place that if you don't deal with those issues, then uh, then really you, you're stuck right at the beginning of your journey with God. Yeah. And you never move on. So, so last week we were talking about um, emotional PTSD, and but you have a new subject you want to bring in today, and talking about psychological reversals. Can you help me understand that? To be honest, I've heard it a few times, and I just haven't quite got my head around it. You know, psychological reversal is is a a technical word or or a, a word from psychology that from a biblical point of view, we would understand it as when there is a conflict between what we think intellectually and what we really believe. And so when a person has a, we'll explain it as a psychological reversal first, then we'll kind of go back to the biblical concept. But when a person has a psychological reversal, intellectually, they are completely convinced and completely intend to get free from their problem. Uh, they, are, they intend to get healed physically, or they intend to get whole emotionally, or they intend to have a great relationship. And, and so what happens then is at a deeper level, they actually believe and or desire something else, something that's actually destructive to them. And is that and, a, a subconscious thought? It's not a conscious thought? Right. It's a subcon it's subconscious, which, you know, all that really, you know, you, you know, your subconscious can be your heart speaking to you. Uh -huh. It can be God speaking to you. Mm -hmm. It can be cellular memory speaking to you because subconscious just means beneath our conscious right. awareness. Right. And, you know, one of the things that, that, the Bible has proven, and psychology has proven, and you know all research has proven. You can never overcome a subconscious problem with your conscious mind, hmm. operating your conscious mind, right. because those subconscious problems were created when you were probably at a different emotional state. And if you don't, 
you usually have to get in that same emotional state you were in to create the problem to get out of the problem. So in a psychological reversal, this is when you're sitting there with somebody uh, that's talking about how desperately they want to save their marriage, but then they won't work the program. They they won't they won't follow your you know your your biblical prescription. They won't they won't cooperate. But they come back every week and cry and and repent and moan and right. carry on because they so intellectually they so desperately want to save their marriage. But at a deeper level, what the Bible calls the heart, but well, it can be your heart, it can be your subconscious mind, it can be a lot. I mean, uh, it can be your. Uh, uh, cellular memories would be a lot of things, but but at a deeper level, they have a belief, or they have a voice, if you will, that wants something else. What would you want other than a broken? Like I would say, think that we would deep down all want to be healed and all not have a broken heart. So what would be in us that we would not <laughs> want that? Like that's what I don't get. Well, and and I'm thinking about about this because there's a lot of like if you're desperately wanting to save your marriage if if that were the uh the scenario or if there's an addiction a destructive behavior you know that you're participating i have a friend that's that's deep in depression that can't get out of it you know stuff like alcoholism you know i don't know what it might be and it's like okay why then wouldn't they you know step in and begin to take the necessary steps. Right. And it's it's almost as though, Jim, that they have, but they've only gone so far, and then they, f- you know, revert back and they want another to their fix. old ways sure. of yeah. doing things. And, yeah, and, it, you know, a, a, a psychological reversal can show up in a lot of ways. Like I say, it can show up in, in uh, people working the plan but stopping short of getting the victories that they want. It can be a person totally being resistant about, about getting help. It can be a person who just is in total, total denial, you know, a, about a situation. But the thing is, on a conscious level, they have emotions driving them but they really don't know why in those situations that they f- refuse to do what it takes. See, um, anyway, I, I just keep going. Tell us more what you do to get out of this because I honestly, I'm helping people. I've got a girl right now that I'm, I'm trying to help and, and I feel like we're doing heart work together and, and you and I know what that term is, like going mm-hmm. down to to um, invite God into our belief system and to invite him into our memories where there's been some painful trauma. And um, it seems like something will push that button. And just yesterday again, she's just as dark as can be, whereas the day before she Mm. was fine. She was feeling so victorious, and now she can go dark in a second. Oh, yeah. You know, one of the things we always have to remember when we're dealing with a person, whether they're hurting physically, whether they're hurting emotionally, doesn't matter uh we as gentiles fall into one of the most basic default deceptions that tend to be in our nature as gentiles you know jews had a basic default system to legalism now gentiles get into legalism but gentiles also have a default system about intellectualism and and so so the way we think particularly here in the west we think that embracing something intellectually 
is the same as a belief. And we have to be careful as ministers and counselors because we can get into this thing of thinking if we give them enough information, then their problem will go away. But, you know, Jesus taught us, he said he was the life and the life was the light of men. And and see, it, it, this means that the light cannot give you life. Only personal intimacy with Jesus can give you life. And that's that's where we get the word fellowship or communion. And, and, and the book of Philemon tells us in the sixth verse that when we have communion, which is to share something, what we have in common with Jesus, when we have communion with him, that that actually activates our faith. And that's where we connect with a life. So all the light does is it's like shining a light on your path so you know where to walk. It gives you the information that leads you personally to Jesus. But until people connect to Jesus for themselves, the information, it will excite them. Because remember, a knowledge puffs up. It will excite them. It'll get them stirred up. It'll give them something to talk about. They will have an ego sensation because they now know something new that they mistakenly think is freedom or think it's the Spirit of God. It's not. So we always have to start there. Jim, I'm finding in in the church, a lot of people are wanting to adopt, you know, certain psychological or what we might call secular thoughts and and really trying to um, bring them, you know, and and put a, a religious or a Christian f- face to them. Okay. And so when I, when I, when we're, as we're talking about this, although we're, we're speaking about psychological reversal and it, it, it helps us to identify what's going on and what's happening with the individual, but the remedy that that is really there is truly found in Jesus oh, and, yeah. and truly connecting to that very life and having that fellowship and having that relationship. There really is no other substitution. No. You know, there again, knowledge will puff you up. Knowledge will stimulate your ego. It will give you a false sense of security. But at the end of the day, that knowledge eventually gets boring. Yeah. You, you know, you get you get tired of, you know, there was a there was a group I used to speak for from time to time. And uh, every conference that they had, the subject matter was pretty much the same thing. And, you know, after, you know, after about 10 years, I'm thinking, you know, you're noticing that people are kind of it's dull, it's boring. Nobody's connected because even though it was a truth, it was a biblical truth, it was still boring just to have the information over and over again so it doesn't matter if people bring in a psychological concept and Mm -hmm. try to spiritualize it or if people take a biblical truth and try to make that a substitute for our connection you know that's where the bible becomes a wall that separates us from God instead of a path that leads us to God. Oh my goodness, mm-hmm. it's so true. And I mean, we can say the word experience over and over again, but honestly, experiencing His voice and His path and feeling it, and it's so daily, it's so moment by moment. And um, I think that's really the path to the to healing the broken heart. So how can we t- oh, yeah. how can we tell if we have a psychological reversal? 
Yeah, jumping back to the whole concept of psychological reversals, from a biblical perspective, the psychological reversal is 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 really the conscience. Okay. You you know, the conscience, the the word conscious in English means dual knowledge. In uh, the Greek, it means co-perception. So we have two ways that we're always seeing the world. We have two ways uh, that we're always interpreting information. Okay. And those two ways are a combination of what the Spirit of God is saying in our deepest part of our being, and then what we are saying in our intellectual mind, which is basically our soul. Right. So a clear or good or healthy or single conscience is one where what we're thinking is identical to what God's saying. Wow. When there when there is a conflict in our conscience where what we're thinking, feeling is different than what God is saying, then we have a corrupt perception. Mm-hmm. We have a corrupt perception of the world. We have a corrupt perception of ourselves. We have a corrupt perception of God. Now, this person that has what we call a psychological reversal, what they have is intellectual information maybe from the Bible, maybe from somewhere else that says, uh, I should be able to get well. God loves me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, these promises are mine. I believe God is is going to heal me or, or whatever. So yeah. they got all the right thoughts here. Yes. But as far as feeling worthy, in other words, at a deep level, if they feel unworthy of these blessings of God, if they feel unworthy of these promises of God, then now there is a conflict between their conscious and their subconscious. And so what happens is they will sabotage every opportunity to get healthy, to get happy, to you know get free from their addictions. Uh. And they won't even realize when it's happening. They won't even realize yes. until they're they're already in the throes of destroying their marriage or in yes. the throes of, you know, destroying their kids or in the throes of having that next big fit that you throw at work that gets you fired again, you know, for the fifth time. <clears throat> now, one of the things that the church has desperately failed at is building a biblically-based self-worth. Mm-hmm. Now, and let me put in a little plug here. Uh, y- you guys uh, will will be doing, particularly across Canada, several dignity and worth seminars mm-hmm, together. Mm-hmm. Because we now, think actually, it's that important. It is that important. This is foundational yep. for every believer. Yeah. And, and matter of fact, there are more than seminars. There, there are seminars and workshops where we actually do exercises together to set you on your path of reestablishing your self-worth because worth always translates functionally into worthiness. Mm -hmm. And anything you do not feel worthy of, you, you will destroy. You can't, uh, you can't allow yourself to have it. Uh, It causes stress. It causes tension. Anytime you exceed the boundaries of what you believe you're worthy of, you will either go into stress and and destroy it. You will push yourself past those boundaries, and probably then something physical will happen 
in your life to to destroy you to get you back in the boundaries or you push past it and you renew your mind you do hard work to establish new beliefs and you just keep growing and growing and growing and exceeding you know i just heard a classic example of this put um, yesterday i was visiting with um, a young girl who is, you know, a single girl, she's in her 20s. And she's, you know, obviously wants to meet an amazing guy. And she actually was telling me the long story of how she actually met this guy. And their first five and six dates were like everything, both of them, the connection was huge. They both had the same purposes for life. It was like, wow. And then they had the sex talk and there. And he confessed, you know, man, I've, I've had a party life and all that. And she's like, oh, I've been in the church all my life, just saving myself. And, um, and she said, but you know what? I just feel extreme mercy for you. I don't have any judgment to you. Like I, I, she just felt literally like Jesus was loving him through her in that moment. Mm-hmm. There was no judgment. Within two days, he had had an accident where he broke a bone and went into a deep depression and ended the relationship. Yeah. I, I mean, it's like it, what you just said just gave that such deeper meaning because he didn't feel, even though she was giving him that unconditional love, Right. He wasn't ready to, re- he wasn't feeling worthy of that. His subconscious said, nope, you're too good for me or whatever that was. You're too pure for me or that's, you know, I'm somehow right. not worthy of I'm this. I'm not worthy. I am not worthy of this. Yeah. You know, when I do co- consulting, whether it, whether it's consulting the business world, consulting with ministers or consulting with people in their individual lives, you know, every time somebody uh, has a pattern of sabotaging themselves, then I know they have a psychological reversal. Now, one okay. of the things, of course, we're, that that uh, people can contact you guys and get is I have I have two videos that will one of them teaches you how to identify psychological reversals and some things that you can do to to uh, get past these areas. And I tell you, when, when when you learn how to do this testing for psychological reversals. It's amazing. I mean, you can't believe it in the in the particular areas of your life. You know, you might a psychological reversal doesn't mean everything in your life you feel unworthy of. Just like in that case, it was rela- uh, it was related to love and intimacy. Yeah. So you got a psychological reversal just in that area. You may have other areas that you believe the same thing in your heart and believe the same thing in your. But mind. some people can be incredible with their beliefs about money and and oh, success. Yeah. And yet when it comes to love and intimacy, they they just don't get it. There's So as you're saying, it's not a blanket. You're just either have them or not. You just might have them in certain areas of your life. Exactly. I sure appreciate you making that link available, that video link. They, people, our listeners can just go to livetransformed.com and that, that will be ready and available because I think that anyone that wants to dig deeper oh. on this subject is going to want to you know identify this for themselves. Most certainly, and it's free. Just I, I want to make sure everybody understands yes. that this is something that you can go to uh, live trans live transformed right. Yep, livetransformed.com. Livetransformed.com, and you can down you can download this and watch this for free, and mm-hmm. it will be a tool along with some other tools that we're going to put in their hands that they so can use appreciate for that. their whole life. Yeah, I mm-hmm. so appreciate that, Jim. I really do. Jim, let's uh, jump forward and start talking about. Because we're speaking about healing the brokenhearted, and now what we want to talk about is the emotions. You know, the emotions that are going on, and and a phrase that you that you use is emotional suicide. And right. That's, that's, that's a pretty, pretty serious. That's pretty intense. That's a serious, intense title right there. 
It, it is. It feels like it's it, not it's a good so idea. Obviously true, and you guys see it all the time. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I've never heard the term emotional suicide, so maybe you're going to have to help me out a little bit on right. on what what you mean by that. Well, basically, I mean, we all know what suicide is, and yes. you know, suicide is we we're killing ourselves physically, but emotional suicide is we're destroying ourselves emotionally. Okay. Now, there's two types of emotional suicide. Now, the the initial pain we bring into our lives by a belief or an action that we commit. One of the things people uh, fail to realize, even if you're not born again, as nearly as I can understand the Bible, that deep in your heart, all of God's Word, all God's morals, values, commandments, standards have been imprinted in the deepest part of your being. Hmm. And that's why, and, and Paul even talks about this in the book of Romans, and that's why people who don't even hear the gospel have a conscience of good and evil. So when we when we do something selfish, self-centered, hateful, mean, deceptive, whatever, you know, or immoral or whatever, then uh, even though on a conscious level, we can, we can uh, justify it. The problem is it does something to us. It destroys some part of our sense of worthiness. It destroys some part of our sense of identity and uh, many times can be the, the foundation upon which a lifetime of dysfunction begins to grow and grow and grow. You know, when I was a kid, of course, this is talking pretty straight about some stuff. I hope people aren't going to be overly sensitive about this. But, you know, I was a runaway at mm -hmm. 14. And as a runaway, I'm living on the streets. You know, I, I can remember being out on the streets when it was snowing and finding a garbage pile and putting two cardboard boxes together and cutting a hole in it to have a, a warm place to sleep. And so, wow. you know, when you're when you're doing that at 14, yeah, life is hard. I I, so, I honestly can't imagine just because our Robert right now is 14 and, yeah. and we take really good care of him. I mean, you know, a 14 year old needs care and love and security, oh, yeah. and and you had none of that. No, you know, and so one of the things that would happen to me many times is I would have girls or women come on to me and I wasn't pursuing anything, but they would come on to me. They would, they would recognize I was in a desperate situation. So, you know, I would end up going home with somebody or living with somebody for no greater reason than it was winter. And I would freeze to death if I didn't have a place to go. Right. Now, I found later in my life that having violated my sense of conscience, my, my sense of identity, having violated, even though it was justified, even though I didn't initiate it, right, it was still a form of emotional suicide. It, it killed yes, some part of me I can see that. I can see that. And because it's so extreme, like what you're describing oh, yeah. is so extreme. And it doesn't even have to be something extreme. Right. It just has to be something that violates your conscience. So the pain then that, that, that we create when we relive or get triggered to something that relates to that situation, 
because of spiritual PTSD, it, it emerges because it's a trauma that we had in the past. And that, and then when we're in a, in a situation that where something triggers those feelings, thoughts, memories, or emotions, mm-hmm. then suddenly we talked about it in the past podcast. Suddenly, we start functioning in a totally irrational way. Yeah. And what we're what we're really doing is we're sabotaging opportunities for abundant living yes. that we don't feel worthy. Yeah. To have. So that's the first form. Is is what comes from our behaviors. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, th- then we find ourselves in a cycle of emotional debt. You know, here, here's how I explain emotional debt. Emotional debt is sort of like your life up until this time has been like a credit card. And every time you do something that violates your conscience, every time you do something that corrupts you, it's like charging something on that credit card. And now in your life today, you're having to make emotional payments on that credit card. Oh, okay. So it's like now because of that trauma way back then and all those charges have been made, now when someone um, does something to, to make me remember that trauma, I have to pay all that emotion again. Like I have to feel it all, all over again. Right. I have to and, feel as bad as I did in that moment. Well, and not back. only that, but it's going to steal or destroy some some ah, other opportunity that I oh, have. Oh, okay, and, that you know, I understand. I consider that to be the interest payment on it. You know, credit cards have high interest. Yes. So, so the payment is my my dysfunction, my inability to be happy, my inability yeah. to follow stuff through. But then the interest that gets charged to that card is the new pain that's brought into my life because of that experience. And... Uh, and then, of course, you know, uh, there, there are the things that other people do to us that can cause us to come into this place of emotional debt and reach this place of, of, of emotional suicide. Now, you guys have heard, heard me talk about this. You've taught this. You've preached this. We all know this. We've all used it in personal ministry. But I talk about this in my book, How to Stop the Pain. How to Stop the Pain talks about the fact that nothing people do has any power over us until we attach some significance to it. Right, yes. And we attach significance to it by passing judgment, by assuming to know why they did what they did. Right. In other words, so we're going to judge whether it's good or evil Mm -hmm. based on our assumption of why they did it. Now, the problem is... Whatever that judgment is, that other people, you know, our assumption of why they did it, according to Jesus in Matthew 7, where he talks about judgment, then what happens is with the measure we meet is measured to us. In other words, whatever I judge your motive to be, it affects me as if it was that that's that judgment's true. Yeah. And in fact, you know, we could be completely wrong. And there's all kinds of ways that kids, especially, judge their parents' behaviors that become a part of creating an internal belief, affecting their sense of self-worth, their sense of worthiness. And, uh, and again, this becomes the initial groundwork for emotional suicide, for, for those things that will, that will happen in the future that we will destroy 
because of the way we feel about ourselves. I'm very deep in thought right now. I have been this entire yeah, episode. You're, you're saying a lot. And I, I can only imagine what our viewers are you know, sensing and feeling. And right. I don't know where you are today, whether you're you know, driving in a vehicle or trying to exercise at the gym or just right. sitting down. But I want you to make sure that you come back and revisit this podcast and listen to it again and again, not for the information, but that you would really connect and begin to identify, hey, there has been a pattern and there is some buried pain right. that's very alive in my life. And uh, recognize the extravagance of the love of God for you, that this is beginning to surface, that the destructive pattern pattern would be broken. So Jim, let's talk about what the believer has, because now now they've 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 been able to identify that hey I I have this you know belief of my heart. This is either either I've brought this this chaos into my life myself with my decisions or someone has done something harmful or hurtful to me. Now then, what do I do with it? What, what options do I now have? You know, far too often we get hung up again on the information side of this. And, you know, sometimes it is helpful. Some people get stuck and you want to help them figure out how they got here. But the real truth is, it doesn't matter how I got here. Or even maybe what, how much you understand about how you got there. No, exactly. Yeah. What matters is, am I going to take the steps to that will lead me to an intimate connection with Jesus mm-hmm. uh, that's going to set me free yeah. from whatever this is? Right. Now, when, when, when we have an, a, an offense... And an offense doesn't mean the other person has done something wrong. Now, there are times that people offend you because they violate your boundaries. They sure. hurt you. They molest you. They lie about you. They, they cheat on you or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. But, but offense, the word offense basically means to trip somebody up or to cause somebody to stumble. Now, when we experience uh, a wrong by someone... And then when we pass judgment and attach a significance to that, like we said, it immediately begins to affect us. Tell you something really interesting on a physiological level. Uh, You know, years ago, we were taught that, you know, if you didn't forgive people, then God wouldn't forgive you. Well, that's really not, even though the King James says it that way, that is really not what the context of that scripture is, is actually talking about. It's talking about, it's talking about our, even if God sends it away, we've, we've got to send it away. And that's what the word forgive means. It means to send something away. But I'll show you something really interesting. When, when we don't forgive, <coughs> when we hold on to bitterness, not only does that set us up for a fall because that creates the offense, the fact that we're holding on to it, we're rethinking it, we're remembering it, we're rehearsing it in our mind, you know. And, but what's interesting the the brain has a direct link to only one organ in the body, and that's the liver. Now, I'm not saying that the brain doesn't have links to the other organs, but I'm saying hmm. everything that happens in your brain affects the liver first. I did not know that. 
Now, the liver is, is the primary organ that determines the health of every other organ in your body. Hmm. When people hold on to bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, embarrassment, or whatever, then they actually cause their liver to begin to dysfunction. And in time, that dysfunction will manifest as a disease in whatever their weakest organ is. And so th this is why if people don't hmm. forgive, wow, then, then they're going to pay for it. The other person's not going to pay for it. They're going to pay for it. But we don't understand what forgiveness is. We think that forgiveness is saying, okay, it's all right. We're going to be buddies again. Yeah. You know, what you did to me wasn't so bad. Right. Uh, that, that has nothing to do with forgiveness. Mm -hmm. That might have something to do with mercy, but I want you to understand something. Just because you forgive somebody doesn't mean it's time to trust them. You trust people based on their track records. You don't trust them just just because you're a Christian. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you may you may need to stay away from that person. You may need to avoid them completely because they're a dangerous person emotionally or physically. Mm -hmm. So forgiveness isn't saying it's all right. I'm just going to overlook your your sin. That's not that's not what it is. The word forgive simply means to send away. Now, Jesus told us this in John 20, 23. He said, if you forgive or send away the sins of any, they are sent away. If you retain or hold on to the sins of any, they are retained. And so Jesus is saying, when somebody sins against us, when some offense happens toward us, we have two options. There's not a third option. Option number one, send it away. Option number two is hold on to it. Those are the only two wow. options. Mm -hmm. If you hold on to it, then it corrupts you. It rots your insides for the rest of your life. Physically, emotionally, you get into these self-destruct cycles. You commit emotional suicide. Mm -hmm. Now, in sending an offense away, what you're actually sending away are the feelings that you have about what that person did, mm -hmm. which means you got to you, you need to release and let go of the judgments that you pass about mm -hmm. that person. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, <clears throat> you know, I've shared this story before with you guys, but but you know, when I was uh, about 18 years old, I had uh, hadn't seen my family in a while. And so uh, my mother and stepfather had moved to Huntsville. I came to Huntsville. And, uh, and so, it, you know, I went to spend the night with them, and, which was not something, you know, that happened very often. And so, you know, in the middle of the night, my stepfather breaks into my room and stabs me in my sleep. And he and his friend plot to kill me. I, I, when he walked out the mm. door after it happened, I heard him I heard him say to the other guy, I've cut that little SOB, now let's kill him. And so my stepfather and another man came back into the room to kill me dead on the spot. And so, you know, I managed to get away. I actually jumped through a window and, and got away. And um, now you understand that story I told the other day about why I would never get trapped in anywhere. Right. And why it would freak me out if I yeah. got trapped in. So right. I got over that, you know, because, yeah. of, because I sent it away. Right. But, but you know what's interesting? You know, I had all kinds of judgments about why he did that. Yeah. 
I eventually found out that when he was a boy, his father tried to kill him with an axe. Huh. And so, you know, you never know what's driving a person. You never know what they've You just can't assume, can you? You can just not nope. presume. And that's when you were talking earlier about that judgment that we do, that yeah. we judge. Sure, it was significant hurt that they or pain that they caused you, but we assume why they did it, and then that yep. becomes that judgment against them, and maybe they why they did it because I deserve it. It can go either direction of oh, where yeah, the judgment there's, there's goes. There's all kinds of ways to go, but it's yeah. going to affect you it's gonna affect the you. way you pass the judgment. Yeah. I get it. Now, you know, so we have to come to a place where when people do something, our response is, I know what they did. I don't know why they did it. So what happened to you personally? Like, so you, you said now you figured out that, or you found out somehow that he had an experience that was similar with his dad trying to kill him. Did that do anything to help you at that point? Well, because I, this was before I got saved when I was, when I discovered that, so in some ways it helped me understand. It helped me understand why he was so dysfunctional, and it helped me understand that not everything he did to me was actually about me. It wasn't against you necessarily as much as he was just super mixed up. And yeah, because you took it at first, you took it all against you. This is so personal. Oh yeah. Well, Absolutely. obviously, I mean, and my intention was to kill him, and I, I I plotted his death, carried a gun for. A, a, a couple of years waiting for my opportunity. I was going to murder him, and wow. and uh, thank God that I didn't. Yeah, but but the you know the thing is, <clears throat> I understood it, but that didn't send the pain away. Exactly. That's what I was going to ask you. I said, did that help you? Well, it helped you kind of a little, I guess, to have understanding, but that didn't take the pain away. You know that that was one of those places, even before I got saved, where I learned that that people do what they do regardless of who's around what they Mm. do to me that is so good just occurs because i'm around when they're doing what they do but it really has nothing to do with me or or you know or little to do with me so anyhow okay so jesus said you got to send this away well well what you've got to send away more than anything else is the emotions that are flooding you because of the temptation to pass judgment that would become your stumbling block that would come your become your emotional suicide and people people try to make this really really complicated okay send away what 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 is this i'll tell you what you do um i'm just trying to make sure i have enough time to finish this you know, in, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus had, he fed the 5,000. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he had just a few little loaves of bread and just a few little fish. And he looked at his resources and he looked at the need. There are 5,000 men, not counting women and children. So his resources were not great enough to meet the need. Well, since he was tempted in all ways, like as we are, I know from that and even from what the scripture says i know that he had to momentarily uh have the opportunity he had that drawing to not trust god he had that drawing to limit his his situation to his provision and the need but the bible says in mark 6:41 i think it is it says that he looked up into heaven and then he blessed the bread and broke it and multiplied. You know, everybody had more than enough to eat. Now that phrase, look up into heaven, in the Greek, 
is the exact same phrase used over in Luke, the fourth chapter, where he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to open the blind eyes. Now, Luke 4.18, where it's quoting from Isaiah 61, opening the blind eyes, preaching the gospel to the poor, setting the captives free, that's not about people physically not being able to see. Now, Jesus opened blind eyes, and so we know he did. I'm not arguing that fact, but in this scripture, it's not. It's not about uh, getting people free from demon possession. All of those things in the book of Luke, the fourth chapter, which is a, a quote from Isaiah 61, are the emotional effects of having a broken heart. So from this broken heart, my co-perception, my conscience perverts the way I see the world. I don't see it clearly. I don't see God clearly. I don't see myself clearly. So Jesus did something to overcome that temptation. It says he looked to heaven. In the Greek, that word look to heaven means, and it's the same thing it means over in the book of Luke, he recovered sight. The idea is Mm -hmm. he looked to God to recover his perception so that now he has the capability of seeing this situation from God's perspective and from God's resources. Only after he had connected intimately with God was he able then to bless and multiply the bread and the fish. And there is the key. And there is the key. Connected to God intimately. That's right. Because that's not intellectual. That is not an intellectual You know, you can immediately, when you feel a negative emotion because of what somebody does, you should immediately stop and send that away. And 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 the way you do that is by saying, I don't want you. I don't accept you. You're not from God. And you're going to get relief. And sometimes, based on where you are in your beliefs, that may be the end of it. But many times, you, you know, it's going to keep coming back, coming back. Many times, you're going to have to go... And you're going to have to recover sight. You're going to have to look at this from God's perspective Mm -hmm. and realize that you have the internal resources to to be bigger than this situation. Mm -hmm. And and you send that stuff away and you connect with God and you know what will happen. See, then you're capable of showing mercy. Yes. And mercy, again, doesn't mean you, you know, like if somebody molested you, mm-hmm. they should be in prison. I'm not saying that that mercy you says, okay. You stay in that, that, that dysfunction or that right. s- stupid relationship or whatever it is. But what mercy does say is, I don't have to get vindication. I don't have to punish yeah. you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And whatever natural consequences, whatever the civil law is, yeah, you got to face that. Yeah. But I don't have the need to punish you. Wow. Wow. This is this is really good. I, I think that we're going to be drawing this to a close soon. But there's just so much um, to there's so much to ponder. I can't. I know that word is something we don't use very often. But honestly, um, I just really sense that God. This is a God concept that is so foundational for every single person. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, this is why we offer like a CD series. Exactly, exactly. A CD series aren't because, I mean, they're not, I mean, yes, they do create finances to help us take the gospel to the world. 
But CD series are people who say, you know what? I got a lot of that broadcast, but I want to go deeper in this. Mm-hmm. I want to deal with this. I want more tools. Yeah. And so so we always offer tools. Right. Uh, and these workshops that we do together around, exactly. around the country. We always offer other tools through different formats so that you can keep moving ahead experientially, not just information. Exactly. And I really, and I know that you're constantly plugging out stuff and I'm amazed what you get done in a day, but there's a lot of books that have really affected me and a lot of CD series over the last 15 years since I've really gotten plugged into how you are understanding God. And I appreciate that. And and it's impactministries.com. That's where all of Jim Richard's stuff is. And so just to the listeners, um, you can talk to one of their customer care people and they will help you. You know, they know this stuff really well to know what would be really good for you personally. But I do really encourage you to go to Mm impactministries.com with Dr. Jim Richards. Today's episode has been really big for me. Yeah, me too. In fact, you know, last night I I spent most of the night awake. Yeah. I did. It, it was just kind of one of those nights where my mind was extremely strong and where fear really wanted to, you know, grip my heart. And, and it just had a lot to do with just a sense of lack. You know, mm. as, you know, we move forward, as we want to help people, you know, finances and resources are a big part of that. I mean, there's huge changes that are happening in our lives. And so as we were, you know, speaking today, I, I really began to see, you know, again, what's because I don't want to sabotage what God's doing. Right. Exactly. You understand? Yeah, I do. And, and so I want there to to be uh, an equilibrium, you know, between what my heart believes and what's happening, you know, with my mind. And so again, I mean, this, this has to do not just with relationships, but also the way we approach business and, and, and approach life. And so I, you know, just today's episode has, has meant so much to me because I really, I can't just go and try to figure this thing out. Right. I don't even have to figure it out. That's a great right. thing. But I've got to go and connect yeah. with the Lord. Yeah. And and I and I have to do some heart work here. Yeah. Be, you know, so that I'm not attaching myself to a sense of lack. Yeah. But rather, you know, knowing that he is truly more than enough. Yeah. And so, uh, Jim, I just want to talk or ask you a, a little bit about our conscience, simply okay. because a lot of times uh, it, it becomes seared. It becomes we, we develop a hardness of heart just yep. because we've been down this road before. We've had these patterns, you know, in our lives again and again. And so for the listener today who is, um, I, I would believe, just beginning to have this sense of hope. You yep. know, that things really can be different. Uh, where, where then uh, do they begin? You know, just as Jesus, you know, he's facing this multitude and he's like, okay, I, I need to pause here for a minute and I'm going to connect with my father. So, Jim, for our listener today, what would you encourage for them to do? You know, what I'm going to say is, is going to be like escorting you to the door of the Holy of Holies, but I can't go in with you, hmm. you know? And, and so at some point, you know, these things that we're teaching and sharing, they're light, but remember light is not life. Light makes it possible for you to see where the life is. And that's and connecting to that life is when you walk through that door 
and it's just you and God, and, yeah. and you find the way yeah. to connect to God for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. But let, let me explain a little bit about that. You know, right now there's a lot of controversy, some crazy teaching about 1 John 1, 9. People are arguing about whether or not you're supposed to confess your sins, not confess sins. And what's interesting is they totally miss the entire point of mm-hmm. what John's talking about. And John is talking about how that Jesus himself and how he lived, what he taught, how he conducted himself, and what he accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection is the only accurate interpretation and representation of who God is. And people tend to start looking other places than the Bible, and here's why they do it. When you find a truth in the Bible and you don't allow that truth to motivate you to go connect to God and experience it, then that then that truth, like like we said earlier, you eventually get bored with it. You're tired of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, you need some new information. And so, so we use information as a substitute for mm-hmm. connecting with Jesus, yeah. thinking right. we'll find life in that. Mm-hmm. But see, John says, if we'll return to fellowship with him, and we can only return to fellowship with him if he is the light, if his interpretation. In other words, if we take everything that God's ever said in the Old Testament, say, I've got to interpret this in light of what Jesus taught, in light of how he lived, how he treated people, and what he accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. Until I do that, even if I'm quoting the Bible, I am not in the light. If my interpretation of the Bible comes from anywhere than the model that Jesus presented, then I am not in the light. I just have information. Now, once we accept that what Jesus presented to us is all of the truth about God, then we have the opportunity based on that truth to enter into fellowship with him. And the word fellowship means to share something in common. And it specifically means to share something in common that only one person actually owns. Hmm. So Jesus received an inheritance from God. And when we go back to him based on you know based on what he showed us about God and based on you know what the word of God said when we go back to him and intimately connect with the fact that you died I died with you you know you you were buried my old man is buried you were raised up again conquering death hell and sin I am raised up over death hell and sin you defeated the devil I defeated the devil because I'm in you. You sat down at the right hand of God. I am at the right hand of God. I have access to God. You received an inheritance. I share in that inheritance. And so as we start connecting with what we have in Jesus, what's interesting is John says, then the blood of Jesus will cleanse your conscience. Now, people argue and say, well, you know, I've already, my sins have already been forgiven. Well, you know what? There's a difference between what happens in your spirit and what happens in your conscience. Hmm. Because once your conscience gets skewed, once your conscience gets hard, once, because what ha- when, really when your conscience gets seared, it's really your heart. Your heart becomes incapable of feeling, sensing God. So what happens now as we reconnect to what we really have in Jesus? Suddenly, the blood of Jesus cleanses our conscience, and now our co-perception makes us able to see God as he is, 
see Jesus as he is, but to see ourselves. And that becomes an experience. It's not just the exchange of information. Mm -hmm. It is an experience that goes beyond words. And so, you know, you got to do just like you did when you got saved, man, you got to go and whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Yep. Yeah. Connect to God and don't walk away until you got victory. Yeah. And you know what? I do it every day, Jim. It's not it's not sure. like it's automatic every day. Today I went on a walk and you know, you got a busy mind, you've got things to do, and I'm I'm walking the dog. And honestly, I'm like, but I've just got this tenacity to just say, God, I don't want to live one day without knowing that we are so yep. intimately connected. And I said, and so I just do what I know is not is to surrender my thoughts for his thoughts, my ways for his ways. And I acknowledge him and I start thanking him. It's just different every day. There's no, there's no structure to this as much as your heart is saying, God, I need you. And, and you, you something happens and then yep. you press through and it's different for everybody. You can't copy this, but you have to want yep. it really bad. You have to have a, you know what I mean? Cause and then eventually, yep. you know, half an hour later, I, you know, a certain song came on my Pan- Pandora station, my radio station. And I actually just sat right down the sidewalk <clears> with Winston and, the, and this song just did something for my spirit. And that, that moment that was so intimate that you don't even like to really share with other people cause it's so close we we had that and i said god i don't want days without this like maybe right. maybe some of you have three god moments in their life well you know what i want them every day i i want to experience you every day and i will do what it takes and invest in what that looks like well you know one of the parables of the kingdom of heaven and if we would study those parables and not make them legalistic we would understand how to function in this realm called the kingdom. But one of the parables of the kingdom is the, is the pearl of great price. And what the pearl of great price shows us is this. In order for me to have kingdom life, I've got to want it more than I want anything else. Yes. Yes, you said that so well. And, and it's every day. It's not like all of a sudden you get every it day. and then the rest of your life you're going to be fine. No, 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 no. It's every day. We're, we're in this, this rhythm of life where we go to sleep and then we wake up and then we need him all over again and we want him all over again. Good. Jim, thanks for yeah, thanks, joining Jim. the conversation with us and really Thank leading you. it. I've been really quite uh, quiet today. I've just, <laughs> you didn't have much sleep last night. No, I'm fine. I really, I needed today. And I, <laughs> hey, I'm just like the other listeners. Yeah. You know, they're like, yeah, yeah. I needed this Me too. today. Me now, too. here's, here's what we must do self-included just don't take the information right right you've been led to the doorway yeah now today step in mm-hmm. yep. step in for yourself mm-hmm. and allow him to love you in this place exactly and he's going to heal your heart thank you jesus yeah. audrey jim and to you all of our listeners thank you because I believe God wants to live big in you today, really big. And it will dramatically affect you personally. It'll bring a peace to your heart for Jesus truly is your Prince of Peace. It'll bring a healing and a wholeness to your relationships. And uh, I believe it'll bring an advancement even to your place of business. Why? Because you are better connected to the truth of your identity that your dignity and your value and worth is intact and it's found in fellowship, in your relationship with Jesus. So thank you everyone. 
And you are not disqualified. I just had to Never. say it. Don't don't think you got to be like us or do it like us or like honestly, you are not disqualified. No matter what you've done, what you've experienced, you are not disqualified. Yeah. This is some good news today. Good hope.